Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 210 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Howdy. (laughs) As I yell into the microphone. Wow. Okay. If everyone was listening to this in the morning, they're awake now. (laughs) I just yelled in their faces. Tell us about today's episode, Adam. I can do that, Jill. Uh, So I got to chat with stand-up comedian, YouTube celebrity, and author, Steve Hofstetter. Uh, Steve is, as I just mentioned, he is a stand-up comedian who does a lot of awesome stuff with YouTube. Most comedians do not like having their stuff on YouTube, and he's kind of made a name for himself by putting a lot of his content on YouTube and also breaking down all these different videos about like what he's doing and why he is saying the jokes the way he is. And he gets he does lots of crowd work, so a lot of times he'll have like hecklers, and he has a lot of fun with them, and then he'll put the stuff on, on YouTube. But anyway, he has literally like hundreds of millions of views on YouTube. And he wrote a book uh, called Ginger Kid, and it's all about his upbringing. Um, He and I have this crossroads of things we both like. He's a massive baseball fan. He is a massive theater nerd, and he's a stand-up comedian. Um, So a lot of the stories in his book are all about those those things, growing up, being a theater nerd, and uh, going to like his Jewish community center to do theater and all sorts of stuff. And the book is broken out in these really short chapters that are really quick reads where he kind of tells these little short essay stories. So if you want like something to read while you're you know, waiting to pick up someone or you know whatever it is, waiting for an Uber, these are good to kind of read really quickly. Um, and being a stand-up comedian, he's just hilarious. Uh, so we had a lot of fun. We bonded over a lot of things. And I told him that if he's in Cleveland and there's an Indians game, I'm going to take him. So he's great. I highly recommend this book, not only for like listeners, but... If you have children who are about to enter high school, like he says it's a book he wishes that he had going into high school. And I very much agree. Like he kind of it's a nice little map of what he went through in high school and what you could kind of expect. So sounds good. Yeah. Not quite like bad romance, not like heavy relationship stuff. Right. Um, But he definitely does talk about bullies and trying to figure out his own place and and all sorts of different stuff. Um, So yeah, if you search for Steve Hofstetter, uh, you will find his YouTube link. And if he's coming to your town, go see him do his stand-up comedy because he's very funny. I'm excited for him to come to Cleveland, I think, in April, actually. Oh, all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds, and they can email us directly at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they can. As you're listening to this, I am in Arizona. Jill is here in the office, so definitely send her an email. She'd love to talk to you. Time travel. Time travel. (laughs) Space. Um, Anything else you think people should know about? I think that's everything. All right, cool. I hope you guys enjoy this little 40-minute conversation where I got to bond with the wonderful Steve Hofstetter on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast.
Hey everyone, it's Adam again, and I'm incredibly excited to be joined today by stand-up comedian Steve Hofstetter, who has a new book coming out uh, in the middle of March called Ginger Kid, Mostly True Tales from a Former Nerd. Steve has over 75 million views on his YouTube page uh, and hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Uh, you have likely seen him all over the place, uh, whether it's hosting his multiple satellite radio shows, uh, he was one of College Humor's original columnists. Uh, he's been a writer on several different stand-up shows and comedy shows all around the world. Um, basically, from reading your bio, Steve, I'm starting to think you never sleep. I I think the trick is I just sleep on planes. Ah, that's totally so fair. I, but you, yeah, so when you said you sleep on planes, but don't you have, like, you tour pretty much all year round, correct? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's definitely, um, I guess lighter for me in the, in the winter because I don't like touring in cold weather. <laughs> and I have, <laughs> I've worked the last, you know, 16 years as a comic so that I could finally pick and choose where I go. Um, but yeah, I, I tour a ton. Um, I love it. You know, I love performing. I love meeting people at shows. Um, I love seeing the world. Uh, there's a great quote from Twain, travel is the end. Travel is the enemy of prejudice, and I I really believe that. You know, I grew up fairly sheltered, which is a weird thing to say about growing up in New York City. But you know, when I grew up, I didn't travel at all, and so I thought that everyone, you know, north of the Bronx was a redneck. <laughs> like I didn't know anything. <laughs> I, I was an idiot, and so once I started traveling and realizing, you know, there are good and smart people everywhere, there are dumb and evil people everywhere, and it's you know, it's amazing. I, I really enjoy it. All right. So, so speaking of when you're growing up, that's a lot of basically what your book is about. So can you give people maybe a little bit of an introduction to Ginger Kid? Sure. Uh, you know, this is the reason I wrote the book is because I wish I had it to read when I was 14. You know, this is a mm -hmm. book for everyone who has ever felt less than, you know, anyone who's ever not fit in for whatever reason. Um, whether it is a real one or a perceived one. Um, it is a very self-deprecating, um, you know, <laughs> funny journey through the bullying I went through in high school, um, you know, everything from serious stuff like developing an eating disorder um, to, a, I guess, more flippant stuff like the time I tried to get one over on the school bully for <laughs> quoting with, uh, by quoting Gone with the Wind. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I certainly made my mistakes there. And the, the resolution of it all is that, you know, that's how I found comedy. Um, and the idea of, you know, oh, you can do anything you want if you just set your mind to it. Nah, that's not true. <laughs> you can do anything you want if you set your mind to it and you put the work in. And life does get better after high school if you keep your head down, you work hard, you don't wallow in self-pity. And that's really the kind of, I guess, the journey that the book takes. Yeah, speaking of you were, the way that you said you wish you had this when you were growing up, I got to be honest, I'm a little angry that this didn't come out, you know, like 20 years ago. I wish I had this when I was growing up, too. It's great. Um, Thank but you. Something, so you, you you talked about, you know, the, there was bullying and stuff you went through in high school, but you talk a lot about your high school, and there's some really cool stuff in here that, that you had access to. Can you maybe take us 
through and tell people a little bit about the high school you went to because there's, you know, you talk about there being like an improv club and and how seriously you guys took drama. I don't want to, you know, undercut people from reading the book, but can you maybe give some people a little bit of an insight into this school? Because I would have loved to have gone where you went, I think. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was lucky that I went to Hunter in that, you know, most of the bullying, with the exception of, you know, the guy who pulled the knife on me a couple of times, who's famous, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't name names in the book, but mm-hmm. you can figure out who he is. Um, you know, with the exception of that, for the most part, the bullying was emotional and not physical, because Hunter is a school where, you know, it's, it's kind of self-selecting in the way that it's a school that's really hard to get into. Mm-hmm. Now, nature does abhor a vacuum, and so people do look around and go, oh, I could be the thug. That'll be my identity. Um, you know, I could, I could be the hooligan. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there were, there were some really wonderful things about Hunter. Um, I think the best thing about Hunter is the student clubs. Mm-hmm. And the clubs were, there were clubs for everything. Anything you can imagine, any kind of interest you can imagine, and if there wasn't a club for it, you could create one. You just needed a, a couple of buddies. Um, the, you know, I mean, in, in a way it was, you know, I guess read it in real life <laughs> because whatever interest you possibly had, you know, that interest could be nurtured. And it was everything from cultural organizations to a ton of theater um, to things like charities, you know, like there was a, you know, world hunger club that, you know, I mean, it wasn't promoting world hunger, it was to help try to prevent world hunger. But, the, you know, the idea was there was a little something for everybody. And, you know, I, I'm 38, so I graduated in 1997. And there was already, when I, you know, my first year there, there was already a, you know, a club called 10% Plus, which was a uh, GLBT club. The, those are the initials at the time. You mm-hmm. know, I know that we've added more yeah. letters to that since then. Um, and to have that in the early 90s, that's remarkable. So that, you know, that's one thing that I really did enjoy about Hunter, that there was an outlet for pretty much everyone. And, you know, even if your place was just with two or three friends making up a comic book club, you could still do that. Yeah, that's that's something I was I I was fortunate and unfortunate since I went to a really small high school. Um, so it was unfortunate because literally everyone knew everyone's business. But it was fortunate that I could play baseball and football, and I could also you know be a prominent member of the drama club and things like that. But something that I loved about getting to be involved in, in so many different clubs is that you know, especially like the theater and type of things that I got to do, it felt very much like an outlet and it helped me find my voice. Um, it seemed kind of that way with, with you for the improv and, and taking part in theater as well. Is that kind of where the roots of how you wanted to, to make a living as a stand-up comedian, did that, is that kind of where everything started for you? It absolutely did. And, you know, I became a stand-up comedian by accident. It was, I mean, it was as if I was thrown into an ocean and discovered I was a fish. Like, I, I had, I had no idea. You know, and, and that happens a lot. Like, you, you, you might think that you're interested in something, and then you try something else and you go, oh, wait, 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 this is what I want to do. 
And that's what happened with me and improv. You know, it, it took, it was, it was quite, it was quite a trek from doing improv to becoming a stand-up. It's not like I did improv for a couple of years in high school and then was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> it was just when I decided to try stand-up in college, I had this improv background already. I wasn't scared of it. I, you know, I, I thought I could do it. And that is eventually, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I graduated in a tough job market. The dot-com bubble had just burst. And so, you know, all these writers who had these, you know, mid-level dot-com positions were coming back to entry-level print, and it just was very difficult for me to get anything noticed. Um, I have, oh, do I have so many rejection letters that I kept. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, it really was the, I guess, the the seed of becoming who I am today. And, you know, one of the things that the book discusses is all the different things I tried mm -hmm. because I enjoyed drawing. And so I thought I was going to be a comic book artist and I got offered an internship at Marvel and that's, and I couldn't do it because that was one thing I didn't like about my high school is that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I, I should say I'm pretty fair, um, but harsh with, uh, you know, with the guy who was my principal at the time. And so, you know, I couldn't do that. And then I tried baseball. And, oh, I'm such a baseball fan and I love playing. And I am a really good baseball player for a comedian. <laughs> uh, I'm also hilarious for a baseball player, but <laughs> you can't, you know, one doesn't really help the other. And so, uh, you know, now I, I kind of, uh, you know, uh, abuse my, status on TV and things like that in order to throw a ceremonial first pitches. I've thrown 22 of them. That's amazing. And it's my favorite thing to do, and I love it so much. And, you know, every time people, every time I throw one, there is, an you know, even if it's out of the strike zone, it's a real pitch. And right. so there is definitely a reaction among the crowd of like, oh, for a comedian could do that? <laughs> uh, you know, even though I'm throwing, I mean, I'm throwing 60. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not like I'm throwing, you know, 95 mile an hour. I'm throwing 60 in the range of the strike zone. Um, but thankfully, people like 50 Cent and Carly Rae Jepsen have I... made even throwing one over the plate an accomplishment. So 50 uh, Cent's, oh, anyway, 50 Cent's I'm, was I'm the worst. No, you're my fine. I'm going to let you keep rambling, but I just had to cut in. 50 Cent's is the worst all time. Um, It, it very well might be, but I mean, but Carly Rae Jepsen's is also horrendous yeah what i don't understand though like look i'm not a good hitter and it would take me probably three or four times to go back into a batting cage to before i could regularly make contact again mm -hmm. i got offered to take batting practice with a minor league team in tulsa and i said no <laughs> because as much of a dream as that would be i would really want time to practice and it was so last minute that i wouldn't have and I didn't want to just go and make a fool of myself. And I don't understand someone who cannot throw a baseball agreeing <laughs> to throw one in front of 40,000 people. I just, <laughs> I don't know. Like if someone said, hey, would you like to ceremonial, ceremonially sing the first note at the opera? Oh. I would be like, oh, no, thank you. Oh, man. Oh, that's so funny. By the way, I, not to backtrack, but I, I have to tell you, when I was reading about your principal telling you you couldn't, do that internship i almost threw the book like i audibly was swearing and my wife's like what's wrong with you i was like this guy he's, he's kind of a dick and i don't know why he wouldn't let steve follow his dream i just ah 
Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, and that's that's part of what I really want from the book. The the idea of we've all been through some some of these experiences, you know, and every one of them is hopefully told in a way that can really relate to us all. You know, I mean, there, there will be a couple of people who, if they ever picked up the book, you know, they'd be like, I can't relate to any of this. And that's because they were cool in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're the bullies. So <laughs> I don't care if they can relate to it or not. This book is not for them. I mean, maybe it is for them to, to show them how what they're doing actually has a profound negative effect on people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this, this book is for anyone who's, you know, ever tried to make their way and taken a wrong turn and, you know, sometimes taken a wrong turn by mistake and sometimes someone's led them to take a wrong turn. And there's a lot of stuff in there also about relationships. And what was really interesting about the process of writing the book is I became a lot more sympathetic to some of the people that I had harbored ill will against. Yeah. Because I was really able to step back and analyze the stories, you know, and at the time, like there was, there was one girl I dated in the book, you know, my first, I, I guess my first real girlfriend, um, who I always kind of had this flippant, you know, reaction to. I always thought like, eh, that was terrible. <laughs> and then I look back at it and I'm like, nah, it was also terrible. Yeah. You know, like it was. I didn't know what I wanted. She didn't know what she wanted. And that's okay because we were like 15. Right. So that's, and that's how it works. And so there's a lot of self-discovery in it that I hope will help both. You know, there are two targets of people to read this book. One is people who are going through it right now or about to go through it. And, you know, that's, I think the most important target because it's people who can read it and go, okay, everything is going to be all right. And the other one is, you know, kind of the memory lane people. The people who are my age and who can read through this book and go, oh, yeah. So that's the goal. I, I got to tell you, I, you know, if you, when people pick up the book, they'll notice that, you know, on the back, it'll, it says ages 13 and up. And, and I really hope people going into high school read this book because it actually reminded me, um, I have a brother who's four years older than me who actually, you two look very much alike. It threw me off when I first, like, when I first was looking at stuff. Um, but, he gave a speech. He was a senior when I was going into my freshman year of high school, and we were at the same high school. I was the youngest of four. We all attended the same high school, so I was a little so cool by it. Like, at, basically, people knew who I was just by nature of who my siblings were. But he was yeah. really um, – his first couple years of high school, he was really shy, and he didn't do very many things that he wanted to do. He didn't do uh, – you know, drama or student, uh, and really any student activities. And then his senior year, he kind of blossomed and he did. And so his message to us in his speech was basically like, I wish I would have done more. I really enjoyed the moments that I did. And here's hoping that all of you guys take this to heart and, and really blossom as a freshman and, and moving out. And that was something I, I feel like I took away from your book. And like I said, I hope young, younger people going into high school read is like, you talk about how, you know, you were you know very shy and pretty introverted in the beginning and you, you were still a little bit this throughout the whole book. But like, I just love how you break it down into these short essays about all the different activities you, you know, you got into. And I feel like for me, a, a really important message for this from for younger readers is like, you know, high school and beyond the experiences are, are what you you make of it. And you can you can choose these things and you can create an experience for yourself. 
Oh, I, I mean, absolutely, and that is that is very much appreciated. And you know, I don't I don't have any kids, um, but if I did, you know, I've always kind of had this joke that like the most valuable piece of advice I could give them about high school is that none of this matters. Right. You know, go have fun with it, and you know, it is your world right now, but it is not your world. It is, you know, it's a it's a testing ground. It's you can try out different things. And the repercussions will go away because you'll grow up and even if you were close to these people, you won't see these people very often, you know? So if you want to try to be a baseball player, go try to be a baseball player. If you want to try to be a theater kid, go try to be a theater kid. And if you want to try to draw comic books, go try to draw comic books, or in my case, do all three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fail miserably at two of them. But, you know, the, the, the idea is that it is open to how you try it. And the one of the refrains in the book is some advice my brother gave me. And, you know, I, I don't want this to like, ruin anything. I don't think it will. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best advice I ever got in my life was, you know, after I realized my baseball career was, you know, gross, um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, my my brother sat me down. And, you know, who was also, you know, four years older and uh, sat me down and said, you know, drew three parallel lines on a piece of paper and pointed the middle line and said, you know, most people live their life here and they don't go too far up. They don't go too far down. Now, the further up you go, the further down you'll also go. Um, but for me, I've never been a fan of the middle. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely changed my approach to things. And, you know, that's something that I really hope that, you know, and it's funny when my brother said it to me, and I've talked to him about this, when my brother said it to me, he didn't say it to be profound. He didn't say it to, oh, I'm going to change Steve's life right now, (laughs) you know? He said it because he saw that I was upset, and this is an idea he had. And he didn't realize how much I would carry that with me for the rest of my life. I mean, I've carried that advice with me now for 25 years, and so... I'm really hoping that that shines through in the book. It it absolutely does. Um, I, I want to talk about your stand-up comedy because you 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 mentioned that you're not a parent and you posted a video recently uh, on your YouTube channel about uh, a heckler talking about having kids and stuff, which a was hilarious. But b I, the thing I really want to talk about is there's so many comedians that hate having their stuff you know go up on on YouTube and you know a lot of comedians even like take cell phones away during their shows and things like that you use youtube in an incredibly interesting way and a great way to interact with people so i'm just curious what made you want to use youtube as a as a platform to you know get your name out there more and then also you know how do you feel about the fact that you're putting out so much content and i don't think people realize how hard it is to write you know an hour worth of stand-up so just what, you know, kind of goes well, in your mind when you're using YouTube like that? Well, okay, so I, a couple of things. The thing that I do hate is when people take my content. Like, I like being in control over it. Right. And so sometimes, so there was a line from that video that was really popular. That video went crazy viral. That's actually the video that changed my life. Like, that video got three and a half million views in three days. Mm-hmm. And, like, everything has been different ever since then. Um, in a profound and amazing way. Um... But there's a joke in it where I talk about, 
tree, <laughs> you know, I could still say, you know, and they, I know I'm supposed to curse on this, but I'm a young adult author now. I'm trying to be uh-huh. you know, better in these interviews. Uh, you could still say, dude, you know, bleeped up. <laughs> so anyway, uh, someone took that joke. Um, and I had a meme of it also. Like I had, you know, I had it with my face and my, and my name and a quote. And someone took that, rewrote it onto another picture, botched the language. And then that one also went viral, and it kills me every time I see it. Aww. Because I'm just like, how hard would it have been to give the creator credit? Yeah. Why did you... It's actually more effort not to. Because it, it existed on a meme already. You could have just shared that. And instead, you took the time to go to Photoshop, to look up a stock picture of a kid, to, you know, to completely botch the language, and then to not give me credit. Anyway, so that's a frustrating thing about putting your stuff out there. But that said, still totally worth it. Because the reason I can sell tickets, the reason I can do shows in, you know, I'm performing in 150 different cities this year in, you know, over a dozen countries. And the reason I can do that is because I have this big YouTube following. Now, the way it happened was, and the reason the heckler stuff went viral is, or I shouldn't say why it went viral. I don't know why it went viral. The, the reason the heckler stuff was put up was because I didn't want to share my material. I wanted to share outtakes. Mm-hmm. And because that way it's a funny thing that can still get people to come to the show. And that's how it started. And slowly but surely, this heckler stuff developed an audience. And, you know, I was kind of pushed to do more in that vein. Now, heckler, heckler stuff is completely organic. You cannot force it. So sometimes I'll get three clips in, you know, one weekend and sometimes I'll get nothing for a month. But because of that, you know, I had to start thinking in that direction and figure, okay, well, what else people who like that stuff, what else would they like? And so I decided I'm going to do a series where I read mean comments and I reply to them because that's kind of like hecklers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so then I do that too. And, you know, and you just got to be creative and know your audience know what they might like, but also be willing to try stuff out. There's been some stuff I've put up that people have been like, resounding no. And I'm like, okay, thanks for letting me know. It was (laughs) worth a try. Uh, But in terms of sharing your content and putting it out there, there's a big fear of that. There's a big fear of the idea of like, well, what if if someone steals it? I was like, well, then you're a writer, aren't you? (laughs) Write something else. Yeah. I I have to tell you, the the thing I I think my favorite – Thing that you do is when you break down your videos of I'm a massive stand-up comedy nerd and so I love when you kind of break down you know people always joke about like you know the, the dumbest jokes the one you know you when you try to explain a joke it's clearly not that funny but the way you do it is like you explain everything and you break down exactly what you're saying and why it's funny and you're doing this after the fact which I think just goes to how well your mind works that you're able to kind of put those things altogether but i li- i could watch you break down your own jokes all day it's just great stuff well thank you the you know and a- afterburn was a series that's the one where you know that i go through the heckler stuff right. and that was a series born from again needing content <laughs> you know necessity <laughs> is the mother of invention as they say and you know and, and that was one where there was this clip that was so popular and people kept asking me about it and i was like well why don't i talk about it mm-hmm. and you know, and the, uh, I mean, there's there's that phrase about, you know, just breaking down a joke. It's like, you know, it's like dissecting a frog. Um, I, 
what I do in those clips that I think works is it's not just breaking down of like, oh, well, here's why this part was funny. It's also like, here was the reaction to this, and here's what's happened since, and here are the little tricks behind it. And I think that that's something that will help people because, uh, you know, a lot of the comments I'll get is like, oh, I wish I could mouth off to people like this in my life. And it's like, well, please don't, though, because you'll get fired. Uh, so, uh, you know, breaking down the, I guess, the little techniques, the, you know, the the subtle tricks, the, the pauses, why they're there, the purposefully drinking water, the repeating what they said back to me to give me an extra second to think, you know, little things like that that people can use in their daily life when they are being bullied, whether it is, you know, someone being a jerk on a, uh, you know, on a checkout line at the grocery store, or it's, you know, could be a family member or, you know, whatever situation you're in to be able to hold your own, I think is a skill that a lot of people want to have. And so I, you know, part of what's fun about those videos is, you know, my goal is to, I guess, help people sharpen. Yeah. And something else that I, I love that you do with your stand-up shows is you tend to have some some Q&A here and there at the end. Is that something that you do just to kind of keep your act fresh in your own mind and to kind of keep your brain working? That Those are always, to me, that's the most impressive form of comedy is like to interact with people real time and be incredibly funny. Um, Judah Friedlander does it really, really well. And I love watching him do it. But is that something that you do to kind of keep yourself working and, and thinking every single night? So you're not just out there reciting the same routine? Well, so Judah, by the way, is a monster at crowd work. He's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so is Jimmy Brogan. Yes. Um, the, the reason I do that, well, there are a couple of reasons. One, you're absolutely right. It is, you know, it's comedy gym. It, you know, it, it makes sure that I am sharp, that I am in the moment. Um, the other thing is exactly what you said in that it is something that it does impress people. And it's something I can do. It is my comedy skill. And so why not do it? Um, it personalizes the show for people. Um, I find, I started doing it every so often. And then I found that people, when they would come to a show the following year, they'd be like, oh, do you remember when? And then they would bring up the Q&A and not the 45 minutes of like rehearsed, <laughs> you know, yeah. controlled material. And, you know, and it made me realize that, like, this is something that people really do enjoy. It's something that sets me apart. And when you go see 10 different comics, it, it kind of blends together. And so if you can do the thing that makes you different, and not only that, but the thing that I've had other comics tell me, like, who've been in the room who hadn't seen me do it before, tell me that they were like, I was so scared <laughs> doing that. And so, and sometimes it doesn't work, you know, it yeah. doesn't always work, but it works, you know, the percentages are enough that it, it's worth all of this. Well, and I think even, you know, once you kind of earn the, the crowd's trust too, if it's something isn't working, I'm, you know, you can kind of get yourself out of it, be like, well, that was a swing and a miss. Like, I mean, there's, there's it's kind of fail safe for you at this point to do that. I'm curious from a writing standpoint, um, you know, you're obviously writing, you know, new jokes all the time for, for your standup and things like that. When you were writing the book, were there things when, you know, you're writing the book and you're, you're writing down stories, were there things that you had to wrestle with, you know, not putting in your stand-up act or things that you might want to put in your stand-up act that were going to go into the book? I'm just, how did you kind of compartmentalize what you were going to put in which place? Well, the, the book is immensely personal. 
and my act isn't. Okay. And so that helped, you know, be a natural divide. Like, I don't ever talk about relationships. I rarely talk about family. You know, my act, for the most part, is about society. You know, it is, it's me being a contrarian. It's, you know, I'm a social critic. And and the book isn't that, you know? The, the book isn't like, oh, I'm scared of North Korea. You know, <laughs> the, the book is, you know, I was, I was a shy, nerdy little boy. And, you know, and here's how I tried to get out of it. Every now and then there was something like when I was talking about my parents being chronically late, there was something where I'm like, I think I wrote a tweet about this once and I like looked back and found that tweet that I wrote. It's the line where I say, uh, if, you know, if a rapper said, are y'all ready for this? My parents would have needed another 15 minutes. <laughs> um, and it was one of those things where I'm like, I already said this as well as I can say it. I, I'm going to have to reuse that line. But I think that I think there were only maybe two or three points in the whole book where it covered ground that I already covered somewhere else mm-hmm. because it is it's really about a part of my life that I haven't ever really spoken about before. Yeah, um, and like I said, it's incredible, and I think it's actually you know reading it, and if people you know if they read it and then go if they've never seen you do stand up and then they read it and then they see you, it, it's such a it's, I don't want to say transformation because I don't want you know, sense acting like you're no longer the person you were, but I think it's just so incredible to, to show people if you're willing to maybe step out of your comfort zone and, you know, find different things that interest you, how, you know, if you would have told your, you know, would you have imagined if you were, you know, 13 years old telling yourself that you're going to spend every single night in front of a crowd, you know, with a microphone probably hard to believe, but it's, it shows people that you can kind of, as long as you set your mind to something, you can really, you can do that type of stuff. Well, I absolutely wouldn't believe that. And in fact, no one at Hunter would have believed it either. Um, I've had situations where like, you know, people from Hunter have come to shows and the common response after the show is, what the hell was that? Because they're just <laughs> not used to this, you know? Um, and, you know, some... Some of some people in high school I've kept in touch with and have it, seen my videos over the years, and so it's not as much of a surprise. But every now and then, you know, someone comes and sees a show and just can't believe that I'm the same person. Um, because in a way, I'm not, and it's not because I'm pretending to be something else now. It's because I was pretending to be something else then. I wasn't allowing myself to be the person who I am. And it's because I was afraid to be. I was afraid to take chances. I was afraid to be honest with myself. I was afraid to be honest with other with other people. And that fear really weighed on me a lot. And it's you know it's the kind of thing that I you know and and to be perfectly honest, and I didn't get into this into the book in, because I, my experience in this is not nearly as rough as some other people's, but. There were times I thought about killing myself. Mm-hmm. I, I never got to the point where I tried anything or even I made plans, you know, but I, I think that that is a thought that a lot of people have. That's a thought, you know, the idea of like, wouldn't this be easier if it just ended? And that's not a thought I want anyone to ever act on. And it's not a thought I, you know, it's not a thought I'm proud of having. And it's not a thought I, I guess, uh, you know, I guess the the whole point of it is that, like, you know, it, it's not that things inherently will get better, 
but the opportunity will arise and you know and it's up to you to take advantage of it yeah i i really like i can't speak highly enough about your book it is incredible i i think like i said i i hope every everyone both young and old you know pick it up and and enjoy it i love like i said i love the way that you wrote it in short essays you feel like you can kind of you know you can read th- through a few of them really quickly i admittedly read the whole thing in like a day and a half so i didn't do that myself but the whole thing is awesome and i like i said i'm i'm glad you found time somehow in your schedule to write this because i think it'll really help a lot of people um thank you absolutely and I, it's something it, it's something what's crazy about you know I mean, I'm a first-time author. The the other stuff I've written in the past has been like, you know, little self-published things, or you know, I I I did a sports thing for National Lampoon in between when two CEOs went to prison. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, this is really my first experience, really, really being an author. Mm-hmm. And you put your you put yourself out there. And when I hit send on that final draft, I just had this moment of like both relief. And also this moment of like, what now? Because, you know, you sit there and you go, well, for the next, you know, six to nine months, I just have to wait and hope that this is good. Mm-hmm. Because it writing it meant so much to me, but you don't know if it's going to mean anything to anyone else until people start reading it. And it's, it's still, you know, I'm still early in the process of that, and I know that I'm sure some review is going to come out and, you know, criticize it for whatever, you know, oh, it's self-serving. Well, of course, it's a memoir. But it's got to be. Um, but I'm sure that'll come, but, you know, to hear that from you means a lot to me because it it not only means that I did the right thing with the book, it also means that, I don't, you know, it's, it's one thing to have other people read it and go, oh, well, you know, this is like my experience. But when people do that, it also allows me to feel like my experience wasn't alone either. Well, I can't let you get out of here without talking about something else that we're both passionate about, which is baseball. Um, okay. Okay. So we both are fans of long suffering teams. You are a Mets fan. I am a Cleveland Indians fan. Um, and I'm going to bring this up because are you, are you still doing, um, the stuff for MLB network this year? Uh, I am. Yeah. I just did, uh, I just did panel for MLB now a couple of weeks ago and, you know, it's the kind of thing that I try to do every couple of months and I'm also uh, doing some stuff with, with the Mets. Um, I got to host, uh, two episodes of Mets live this past year and we're working on what we're going to do for this season now, which is such a dream come true. Oh, there was a moment where, where I was, uh, the first episode, so the pilot, I haven't done this before, and the guys who are going to be on it are Jose Reyes, Brandon Nimmo, and Nosa Duray. And we're walking, we're walking to go film it, and, you know, I've explained it a little bit to them, and, you know, the idea of like, hey, this isn't going to be a tough interview, this is going to be silly and fun, and et cetera, you know, I'm a comic, so just keep yourself loose, we'll have a good time. And so as we're walking, Reyes turns to me and goes, you ready, man? And I turn to him and I go, are you? And it was just such a, like, again, you go back to 13-year-old me. And I'm like, <laughs> would I have ever, you know, needled a prof- 
absolutely not. Um, but it's been it's been uh, such a oh my god, such a cool experience to be around it. And you know, the player whose jersey I actually wore in the league, Greg Jeffries, mm-hmm. he is now one of my closest friends. That's and incredible. It's crazy. It's crazy to me how this whole thing has worked. And you know, I. I do think you guys have a pretty good shot at the World Series before we do, uh, and I do not understand how you did not win this past year. Uh, but uh, you know, it happens. Well, the team, your team across the city from you, the Yankees, were our problem this past year. But um, and, oh. the, and the year before, I th- I can't talk about the Cubs series yet. That that hurts still too much. I, uh, but um, uh, but but yeah, and it's it's also one of the things where the I mean the Indians had a lot of bad luck when home field advantage used to be decided by every other year, which is you know the age old coin flip strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Indians were the best team in the league two different times and did not have home field advantage because they, it was odd years, and that's such garbage. Yeah, we were also the be- we were the best team. Well, other than the Astros, we were the second best team the year of the the strike as well. Um, but, and I, I mean, I was very young at that point, but still it's, it yeah. doesn't make it hurt any less, but no, I, what, give me a, give me a 10 second. What do you think you're, uh, the Mets are going to do this year? What are you going to make the playoffs? What do you, what do you, what are you thinking? Hopefully sign a second baseman. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know yet. Actually, we want one of yours. You guys have two, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, if the Mets, if the Mets can, you know, the off season's not over yet. They need either a second or a third baseman, preferably a second baseman. Um, but if they get a third baseman, then, you know, Cabrera can play second. And they also need, I think, one more reliever. And if so, I actually think that they have a shot to compete for the wild card. I don't think they'll take the division from the Nationals. But they are fortunate to play in a division where three teams have absolutely given up. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, it's one of those things that, like, yeah, second place is kind of a... Mm-hmm. I mean, not a not a done deal. Look at last year, but it is m- a much easier journey than teams in other divisions. All right. Well, I feel like I could keep you on re- this recording for like another hour to talk baseball, but our book podcast listeners probably don't want to hear too much of that. So, if <laughs> if people wanna if people want more information on either your tour or where they can get your book or to find your videos, how can they find you online? Uh, my website is stevehoffsetter.com, but all my social media is just my name, you know, and, and, it, and even if you don't know how to spell Hofstetter, Google will correct you. So, <laughs> uh, you know, pretty e- easy enough to find. Um, and, you know, genuinely, I hope you really in- enjoy the book and, you know, I hope everybody listening. And if you are a, you know, a kid in high school listening, or if you are the parent of someone in high school listening and you get the book and it means anything to you, please, 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 shoot me a message because that would mean the world to me. That's awesome. Steve, I, like I said, I can't praise the book highly enough. I absolutely loved it. I'm sure everyone else is going to as well. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today. I had a blast. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 